So we've been uh, off air for a little while, and there's, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of catching up to do. So we I'm seem gonna, to say this every episode. Well, it's true, but in this case, like, we have we, a legit excuse. You, uh, we've been doing better lately. Come on. That's true. Yeah, but there is a very legitimate excuse here that you might want to tell us more about there, Josh. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's a there's a third Ginter running around in the house. Well, she's not running around theoretically, um, but she's very loud. I was gonna say that was quick. Wow. Already running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's loud. Um, she she must t- have her dad's lungs when it comes to like the ability to scream and talk and yell. Excellent. So um, so yeah, even if it, if we had wanted to hop on the show, it would have been tough because I think I would have been sleeping by accident, just like kind of fell asleep. Yeah. Uh, and they don't they don't. Tell yeah, we you. have to catch you just after the the time for waking yeah, up. You know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just just by midday you're done. Just like her. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a 15 minute spread where you get to see her eyes wide open. That's me too. <laughs> uh, exactly. So like what they don't tell you about, well, I shouldn't say that they don't tell you about this, but like I made the mistake of uh, going through like, the entire nine month pregnancy, just like researching the pregnancy. So uh, I mean, I, I'm comfortable enough to put it on the air, but uh, Jacqueline and I went through one of those miscarriages early on about, I don't know, um, like a year and a bit ago. And so like that affects you, right? No matter where you are in that whole cycle, I, I feel for anybody who goes through that. Um, and it kind of affects you um, psychologically, especially, and it, it, is, it affected me and the research that I did during that pregnancy. I was always looking and making sure that, okay, like there's no warning signs, we're all good. But what, what ended up happening was I didn't research anything after baby was born. And so oh, boy. that <laughs> meant that this last month or so, month already, guys, month, um, month as of today, or four weeks as of today, rather. Um, that means this last four weeks has been a very, very large eye-opener. So either way, we are excited to welcome Emryn, E-M-R-Y-N, Emryn Ginter, into the family. And um, life is changed forever as I knew it before. Yay. Welcome to the world, little one. That's when you realize that pregnancy was actually the easy part. Yes. No kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Like, no complications, period, in the pregnancy really at all. So, like, I don't know what I was worried about. And I wish I would have been more worried about now, but that's okay. There's nothing to be worried about now. We are we're a blessed family. We um, baby girl is healthy and awake, and she's growing, and everything is is all hunky dory. Um, Congratulations, man. That's what matters. Yeah, I Congratulations, much and you're gonna do great. I'm, I'm much appreciated. Totally sure, you're gonna do great. Hopefully, hopefully we can do one of those candid meetups somewhere. Um, I I keep hearing like maybe we should try something like Portland one day because apparently the weather is nicer there. Although Matt Cassinelli on Slack said Berkeley was better. I believe that probably a little warmer, but, um, is he from Berkeley? Cause I feel like there's bias in these probably, statements whenever. Probably. <laughs> um, so I will have to get Emran a, a passport in order to join the candid meetup, but hopefully you guys can meet her one day. Uh, Absolutely. I'll try to get a camera yeah, in hand as to. fast as possible. I might have to buy a smaller camera though. Like right now, you know, her hands are kind of small, so... I'd, start with, I'm just start saying, with, like, an Instax camera or something, yeah. you know? Something with, like, instant gratification. <laughs> not, like, a big 1DX Mark III or something? Like, not, no. Uh, maybe not. Well, if maybe she can not. pick it up, then have at it. Like, literally, those lenses are heavier than her. <laughs> True. I mean, she <laughs> like, can't break it, so there's that. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm just going to say that Spain is extremely kid-friendly in the spring. Oh, really? I'll just lay it out there. Yeah. Hmm. That does sound tempting. <laughs> oh yeah, we may as well get her get her accustomed to the whole international travel thing. And we, you know, her her parents like it, and we like international cuisine and everything. So we may as well get her stomach accustomed to that too. Well, I think this is, I think this is one of those things that the earlier they get used to it, the better. Right. Yeah. See, we because then if 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 they're 
uh, a little older than where they actually realize what's going on, they make a huge deal out of it. And that can be annoying. Right. But if they yeah. just take it as another normal part of life, then you're good to go. So like, let's, let's tie it back in here. We got to bring it back into photography because that's the whole point. I, we have tried to take some shots, you know, like baby shots. Everyone's so worried about taking the newborn photos within like a week or two. And first of all, like that's really tough because like they're alert for like five minutes and maybe, you know, you never know what time of the day they're going to be alert for. So basically every photo that I've tried to shoot with the Sony and the lights, I've got one or two that I like, and that's about it. All of my favorites, I continue to harp on this every time it comes up, are my live photos on my iPhone. Yeah. Guys, like these are memories that are going to last. Like I've, you know, parent, new parent, right? Like give me a break here for a second. But like I've, I've caught myself crying a few times yeah. and I think about like, oh, you know, like what, I'll walk her down the aisle for her wedding one day. And, and these are the photos that are going to go up there. The live photos, they're going to go up on that slideshow and everyone's going to toast to those, right? Those are the mm -hmm. photos. And that, I don't know. Anyway, kudos to Apple for coming up with that medium. I hope that they never like destroy live photos for whatever it's worth. Like I will, those are my my biggest wish is that if Apple dies as a company, just live photos. As long as those stay around, I'll be a happy man. I think they planned for that pretty well in the sense that the the format is nothing too crazy. It's really the implementation of it on iOS and, and macOS devices that make it special. But really, it's just like an image and a video clip. Right. So it's durable from that perspective, right. you know, as durable as any file format is, I think I think you're fine. But it is interesting, you know, that that's. Um, we, we've talked about this before, but just um, this is like such a concrete example of why the immediacy of an iPhone can sometimes trump the pure quality of some sort of more dedicated camera system. Because like oh, you said, yeah. in the time it takes you to do, you know, set up lights and get everything on and whatever, the iPhone's out, you shot a picture. And while it may not be, uh, you know, it may not have the fidelity of your Sony's image as a, as a method of capturing memories, uh, it's... Totally, you know, it's unparalleled. So that's not surprising totally. at all to hear. What I'm what what I'm interested in is is whether or not this has made you sort of um, dig deeper into uh, iPhone photography in terms of like, are you starting to try uh, raw shooting? Are you doing different camera apps? Are you finding yourself doing more um, video as well as photos, or is it is it really just sticking to live photos for you? Um, I think the research has started mostly with this idea that I'm probably going to get an iPhone 10 in the next few weeks. <laughs> so that's, that's the first step. Sorry, I don't, that's partly my yeah, fault. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked and surprised. <laughs> yeah. I do not see not that. Not shocked and not surprised is the right word. <laughs> uh, so that was step number one. I haven't jumped into the raw thing. I've, it's been a crazy, crazy few weeks um, yeah, aside from just, just this. So I haven't had a chance to, you know, dig in and experiment other things, but over Christmas here, like I had a, a almost like a plan of attack written in a field notes book. Here's what I'm going to do for photography purposes. And boom, boom, boom. And you know, Haleed or Halide is that how, how do they say Haleed? I think the, that raw manual camera for iPhone, which continually gets better by the way. Um, that, uh, that I'm going to try that one over the Christmas holidays here for sure. Uh, to, whatever, get as much as I can out of those photos. It's amazing how much you can get out of an iPhone photo these days. Um, it is. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really into camera, camera apps, you know, for actually taking pictures. I'm more into the editing part, mm -hmm, but right. this one seems like really nice. Like the interface is very, very it's nice. It's got like this Leica e feeling, right? Like, yeah, they, I, I remember they, they actually designed their own uh, font for the app. Yeah. 
yeah, trying to, wonderful. you know, I'm not going to say copy, but there, it's certainly inspired by the Leica look. And, yeah, it is. And it is a good app. I was initially a little lukewarm on it because it was very, um, it was kind of sluggish, like it felt slow. Yeah. And to me, that was, yeah. that was kind of a deal breaker. Um, but over time, they have been refining it. And one of the most recent updates actually gave it a real adrenaline kick in terms of the, uh, the speed of capture and the speed of um, going from raw capture to being able to preview the image. Um, they've mm -hmm. also had to deal with things like, you know, not every app um, for iOS that deals with photos knows how to interpret um, raw data. And so some of them have been showing you just the very low res preview that, yeah. that's embedded from the start. So what they've what they've done now is they've said, OK, at the expense of file size, we're going to start embedding a full resolution um, JPEG so that apps that can't interpret raw, you'll still you know, you'll still see the image. Uh, in a in a reasonable way instead of a, a crappy blurry mess, um, yeah, but it is right. a good app. Like it's it's something, and especially on the iPhone 10, what they've done with the um, quote unquote ears in terms of displaying the little live histogram uh, and things like that, it's very cool. Like it's it's a really nice use of yes. space. Surprised it wasn't early on because it was one of the first iPhone 10 apps that did that, right? That took like that used the ears, so to say. I'm surprised that it wasn't. Um, I don't know more. Uh, in the media, so to say, like people weren't talking about it a little bit more because it was the first one that did that and it wasn't rejected out of the, you know, in the app store review right. process, which it sounded like Apple didn't want people to use, to, to use that area like that. But correct? they didn't want people to hide it. Okay. So they're actually following Apple's advice. <laughs> For me, uh, it would actually be my only shooting app because I really like it. If I could get to it from the lock screen. Amen. That's what keeps all of the camera apps from actually taking over for me. Because if you can't just, if you have to unlock the phone, scroll to the page where you have the app and launch it, and then you take the picture, it's just too long. And most of the time that I take an, uh, a shot with an iPhone, it's just, you know, this spur of the moment uh, thing. And if I have to fiddle with the phone to get to the camera app, more often than not, the moment is just gone. Uh, so here we are, three more people. It's too people. bad that Apple doesn't allow you to do that. Three more people voting for and or um, non-first-party default apps, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. we've been saying this for years. For everything, not just this, but for everything. Yeah. yeah. What they've done, actually, in the most recent update is they've allowed, they've created a widget. So technically, from the lock screen, if you if you get to your widgets, you can tap to open Halide directly uh, rather than um, having to, like, unlock your phone, find the app icon. block. So it's still not quite as fast but it's Close. faster. So I think they're doing the best that they can within the constraints placed on them. Um, either way, they, they've been moving, like they've been moving quickly in terms of development and they've been coming up with clever yep. solutions to things. So I admire them. Like I said, I started a little lukewarm on the app, but now it's my, you know, whenever I want to shoot raw and I'm, you know, I have some time to be deliberate about it. This is the app that I'm shooting. Right. So just to finish, just to really quickly finish off my last thought on the, the question. Um, the biggest difference that I found in my shooting portfolio of the last month is that I've been taking video and, and not like, of course, not good video that I would put into like, like a home movie that has effects and, and sound, you know, music behind it. Um, but just video, like trying to capture like little things, the video that surrounds a live photo is really good, but it's not like, I don't know what the fidelity is of the video. If it is, if is it 30 frames per second that it surrounds? It's not great. It's not yeah, great. It's, no. um, and so every video that I've taken, I'm trying to shoot them all in 4k, like 60 FPS. 
if only because like I just find it captures the the small minute movements that she makes that much better. It, it it's amazing how awkward it feels when you watch them back, like because it's so smooth, yeah. like it it doesn't yeah. feel right or real. I'm hoping that that as time goes on, that 4K 60 FPS is like uh, normal, if you will. Like when we're like 50 years old, or you know, like the three of us and our kids. Oh, are like, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like if <laughs> that, it, that the movement is just, it's not awkward, realistic. you know, I don't like, like it. Well, yeah. I think it's too late for us because we've, uh, we've sort of been trained to see the 24 frame per second cinematic, uh, style frame rate as, as right. normal. So to us, anything, anything faster, uh, is, is sort of hyper real in a way that I, I don't, I, I don't think that's going to be normalized. I disagree. I don't think it's a matter of, of that. I think it's, if you compare it to real life, it's not like real life. It's less than real life than 24 frames per second. <laughs> it looks more different. That's why it feels unreal to me. And do you, th- not do you think it'll catch on? To it. Because you could have 48 or some even multiple of 24 frames and you wouldn't notice the difference. Do you think it'll catch on like when we're older? Like, do you think that kids today will be, what they'll be used to is video that's shot at 60 FPS? I don't know if they'll be used to it, but I don't. I don't think they'll care as much. Like no. I don't think the differences are going to be as um, noticeable to them as they are to us. And it it's going to be, uh, they're going to be encountering lots of different frame rates and lots of different kinds of video content to the point where it's just not a right. It's not an important right. factor. It doesn't impact their appreciation of it. I think, but I mean, who knows? Good. Well, then at least <laughs> her slideshow yeah, again. At her the slideshow at her wedding won't be like jarring, and her dad shot all this weird feeling video that well actually the the beauty of of shooting it the way that you're doing is that um it's it's much easier to go from having extra data to you know re-rendering it with you know so like you're you're capturing basically with maximum fidelity which gives you the most amount of flexibility in using that footage which is what you want right because if you were to do if you were to go the opposite way and do like 1080 at 24 frames per second that would look great but it would not get, like you know if you wanted more resolution later if you wanted um, smoother motion later you're you're out of luck right. like that's right. that's it so it's amazing how big the file sizes are though oh boy like I've never ever needed a larger iPhone in my life I've always like <laughs> but I will have to yep. buy bigger iPhones down the road uh, if I want to keep all this I'll either that or I'll just unload it all into into like a hard drive on photos or something like that uh, on the Mac yeah. but uh, so yeah that is that is the the new ginter household and the new ginter shooting portfolio more video than ever before and live photos and basically haven't touched my camera in a few weeks it's kind of disappointing (laughs) (sighs) okay off my chest there's the just there's even bigger news well not i shouldn't shouldn't say necessarily even bigger news but like substantially more exciting news in all oh come on that's not fair (laughs) it's nowhere near as exciting well i mean i'd like to (laughs) i'd like to go there too uh, perhaps with the baby but anyway fire away yeah, well, I don't know what you guys are doing for the holidays, but I'm going to Argentina this year. I'm going with a friend, and we're going to be visiting the entire northern region of Argentina, from Buenos Aires to, you know, the entire north of the country, Mendoza, uh, Córdoba, Iguazú. And then we're also uh, hopping over to Uruguay, and we're going to visit Montevideo. Wow. So wow. it's quite the trip, 17 days long. Uh, I'm excited. I'm really, really excited. Yeah, so it's time to talk about travel photography again, (laughs) because I really need your help, guys. It is a perennial topic. So yes, we will help. Yeah, perennial topic. It never gets old. I promise it's not all about gear. It's actually mostly about the shooting, Uh, but there's some gear thoughts sprinkled in. I love those. 
Here we go. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so anyway, the, the, my trip has changed slightly uh, from the original planning. Uh, if you guys remember, I told you a couple of weeks ago when I when I first told you about the trip, the plan was to go to the southernmost region of Argentina. It's called Tierra de Fuego, where the, all the glaciers are, and it's basically the closest point to the South Pole. And I would have loved to go there and shoot the glaciers and see the penguins and the whales and everything, uh, which would have required, you know, a lot of planning, a lot of stuff for the to face the environments. Yeah, very but different now, packing. Yeah, very different packing. But now, unfortunately, we, we are not going to go there because just the, the flights were too expensive and the extra complications, it just wasn't worth it. And besides, it's such a vast region that it's a trip on its own. It, it's yeah, it's its own trip. Yeah. Yep. So uh, we're going to leave it for another chance. And uh, instead of uh, facing the cold, we're going to face extreme humidity when we go up to the waterfalls in Iwasu and uh, all that comes with it, especially the mosquitoes. I'm really not looking forward to those. So <laughs> you have plenty of those in Canada. I'm curious about how do you guys deal with them when you're out there shooting in the environment? I worked very hard not to eat them. I don't, what, what is with you in eating mosquitoes? How do you yeah, do that? I don't try to eat them. I'm just walking down the street. I've never eaten a mosquito. I, really? I've, this never happened to me. I've had them fly up my nose. All the time. But I've never like accidentally eaten one i don't okay so i've heard this myth i'm not sure if it's a myth or if it's legit but i've heard that if you eat like bananas or if you have a lot of potassium in your blood that they like you i don't have no idea if that's true i love bananas and like basically when when, when my family or anybody i'm around if we're walking through like a forest or something like that or a hike or whatever we're doing like everyone can walk let's say 10 feet ahead of me and i'll just be the guy sucking in all the mosquitoes like they'll just be hovering around <laughs> me i'm like a magnet i've always have been. you go first right yeah so basically <laughs> like people enjoy having me around during the summer that you know and they just put me off in the corners because i just you know all the mosquitoes go to me and then they're good to go so um yeah so like i used to be that guy it's, it's, it's not a fun terrible 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 experience uh but yeah. therefore like i do eat them by accident like i'm just like breathing in in my mouth and couple of them slip in like it's it's so normal <laughs> but i'm actually concerned because spanish mosquitoes for the most part leave me alone but the last time I, I went to south america to brazil which is pretty close to the area where i'm going now uh they actually they they, they stabbed me like non-stop i came home with like 45 50 uh mosquito bites brutal so that that wasn't fun <laughs> yeah and maybe they evolved more. And, I, and i didn't and i'm worried I, I, maybe i should vaccinate about uh, against some of those you know tropical illnesses or, and, and stuff I don't know I haven't done proper research about it and I probably should but I'm tempted to say nothing's gonna happen and just go with it mm. but never even thought about vaccination parts like we had like this we had a little bit of a scare what's called West Nile virus around in this mm -hmm. in this region um, right but I'm not sure what it's like down in Argentina I have no idea yeah, I think the the vaccinations are probably the the most uh, immediate concern, but really it's not so much a question of like are there mosquitoes there, it's whether or not there is a higher than usual um concentration of uh disease bearing mosquitoes in the area. Like is is there currently right. a, a malaria problem stuff like that, then you might want to look into it. Um unfortunately there's not like I found at least that there's there's sort of a there's mixed luck in terms of um dealing with mosquitoes so you know having yeah. a good deep based repellent works for some of them sometimes but doesn't necessarily work um, for all of them and it certainly doesn't work when they are determined 
Um, so for instance, here in, uh, in the springtime, if you go up north in, in the lake district, um, any sort of repellent is, is really more for your benefit, um, just making you feel like you're making a difference, but yeah. they don't care. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there it's, it's, it's They've very grown frustrating. They've to like it, right? Well, you know, it's, it's just not as effective as, as you might hope. Um, and in, in our case up here, we've also got black flies and other good things like that. So, um, but I think you should probably, um, you know, have plenty of repellent with you and, um, yeah. One, one thing that people sort of don't um, think of is is long sleeve shirts and pants, um, you know, a good good travel clothing that um, sometimes can protect you against a few bites because you're not leaving as much exposed skin. Um, yeah, and so you that's get them all to, in the face. Well, <laughs> yeah, but the face is a smaller area to protect, right? So that's, you know, yeah. you got to make compromises. Um but yeah, I, they're they're frustrating. They're they're very annoying, and when they get past a certain threshold of like how many of them you're dealing with, it just gets upsetting. Like it's not it's not fun anymore. It's just annoying. Brutal. Um, Hate them. Well, I hope it's not going to be too bad. But yeah, you never know. Anyway, where there's mosquitoes, there's also lots and lots of water usually, and that's mm. the second problem. I'm I'm a little bit scared of or, or concerned about, which is, uh, you know, protecting my gear against the humidity, and yeah. Uh, this is where I think I'm just going to trust the weather sealing of my equipment. I'm not going to baby it, especially. Uh, I've never had problems with humidity before, and I've been shooting in the rain. And and what can I say? My experience so far has been great. I'm going to look into having you know insurance for the equipment. I don't know if they would cover something like that, but it's worth looking into it, I guess. Uh, but anyway, have you have you guys ever faced you know gear deterioration due to humidity when you're out there shooting? Um, I've never had any damage, um, but I also I'm I'm right. I try to be quite careful. Um, like weather sealing only brings you so far, and some brands have better weather sealing than others. So rather than trusting only in that, I try and make sure that my bags always have like for for humid conditions. I try and make sure my bags are always full of those little desiccant packets oh, that, yeah. that yeah, absorb good. extra moisture. The things you're not supposed to put in your um, mouth. <laughs> yes, yep. don't eat the... Don't. What is with you in eating things that are not... <laughs> God, don't eat... Anyway, um... Well, in Josh's desiccant... defense, it does say on the label that... Yeah, do not explicitly eat. Explicitly says, do not eat, yeah. Yeah, so all we have to do is paint the mosquitoes <laughs> so that... <laughs> Uh, um, no, but anyway, I remember when I was visiting Toronto and we went to, up to Niagara Falls, I was very careful not to switch lenses when we were near the waterfalls. Mm-hmm. And this is one aspect where I think mirrorless cameras will never be as good as DSLRs because you don't have the mirror to protect the actual sensor from yep. you know, stray drops of water getting onto it. Uh, if, you're, if you have a mirrorless camera and you have to switch lenses, you're pretty much screwed because no matter how careful you are, I think chances of some water getting onto the sensor are really high. Yeah, it's uh, it's much more vulnerable from that perspective. And that's something that you can, like, th- there's no real way to to um, protect against it except um, work on your lens changing technique. Um, and, you know, it's things like don't face it up into the spray of mist yeah. from a waterfall. Don't, you know, but realistically, but because there's so much moisture in the air, like there's, there's only so much you can do. And I think that's yeah. the real problem is like you can protect against explicit sprays of water from a source, but in an area where it's just humid, you know, full stop, it's just humid. Like there's not that much you can yeah. do because 
you get humid air inside, then you lock it in with the weather sealed lens and, and it condenses further and then you're, exactly yeah, you're exactly really done. The seal only and works the, if it remains unbroken, basically. And the problem there is once you get it wrong, there's nothing you can do to fix it because nope. you can't realistically clean it in that environment. You have to wait until you're back home or to your hotel or whatever. And then if you're lucky, you might be able to, you know, get it fixed. But yeah. on the field, no way. No. And that's that's why I think um, th this is where, you know, the, the typical um, pro traveling photographer mantra of have multiple bodies comes into play because yeah. you have, you know, two lenses, one on each body that cover very different things. And then you're never switching lenses. So you're never breaking that weather seal. And so you you stand more of a chance of keeping everything working and on, uh, you know, with no problems of, about condensation or anything like that. So that, you know, it's not practical for you, but that's that's sort of the, the best case scenario is just having a second body that can um, stop you from having to switch lenses in the field, basically. Excellent. So I'm buying another camera. Yeah, yeah we solved. gave you a good excuse. This is where the gear talk comes in. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, but I, you, you also have, like, you've got the the sort of um, do-all mid-range zoom setup that yeah. allows you to keep yeah. one lens on the camera for all of those scenarios, and then you can make it so that you're only switching lenses for specific purposes and, and hopefully not in the field as much as, you know, when you're in a vehicle or you're in a, a hotel or something like that. It's, you know, you can work around it. Yeah, for the most part, I think the, the kit that I'm going to take with me is going to be just the two zooms, the 24-70 and the 70-200, and they have very different use cases. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I'm up there, you know, near the waterfalls, I think the 24-70 is going to be the lens to go, and and I'm, I don't intend to change it at all. It's going to be weird traveling with no primes, I'll tell you that much. Did you get the, the GM? I just don't think they're going to be very practical. What? Did you get the GM, the 24-70 oh, 2.8? No. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, no, no well, way. I'm sure it, it's yet. inevitable. It'll happen. I'll just yeah, wait here. Probably. Scheming away. Probably. It's going to be either that or the 24 to 105. But cool. Anyway, we'll anyway. see. Not important. Right now, I, I'm really excited to go. And I don't think the gear is the limiting part. I think I have, I have just what I need. And yeah. I'm just trying to be smart about it. So not, you know, not carry more than I can comfortably have on my shoulders all day long. And yeah. I think just the two zooms and the body and maybe the travel tripod that I have, all those things already are fairly heavy. So I'm not looking forward to adding extra pounds, useless pounds by carrying lenses that I'm not going to shoot with. Yeah, no, especially in a, in a case like this where you're dealing with the kind of environment where you don't want to be switching lenses to begin with. Like you don't 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 bother tempting yourself. Right. And And those two zooms cover basically the full practical focal range. Yeah. Uh, so there's just there's yeah. I think you're I think you're making a wise move there, keeping things lean and easy to carry. And I'm actually going to you know put my own assumptions to the test because I I've been hesitating about selling the 2470 for a really long time, and you know forcing me to have it as my only usable lens for the majority of the trip is going to be a very decisive uh, test. It's going to I expect to come out of the trip and have a clearer understanding of whether that lens is worth keeping around or if I should really sell it and yeah. upgrade to one of the other two zooms. So yeah. we'll see what I, happens. I think you'll either decide that, you know, you you would have like you you like the focal range, but you would have wanted the uh, F28 of the GM, in which case you'll sell an upgrade or you'll be like, no, that that worked out pretty great. And 
and keep it. I don't I don't think that you're going to be disappointed and decide to just get rid of that lens entirely from your kit. That would be surprising to me. Yeah, I think the passive least resistance is to just keep it because it's mm-hmm. it I'm I I keep saying it. Uh it's mostly in my head. I keep thinking it's not a good enough lens, but the pictures I keep getting out of it keep proving me wrong. So yeah, the pictures don't lie. That's the results <laughs> matter. Yeah. So. That's it, yeah. So anyway, um another problem that I have uh well, that I expect to have is that I'm going to be traveling to, you know, subtropical region, lots and lots of light. And for the most part, that's where filters come into play. When mm-hmm. you're trying to freeze motion and you have, uh, or well, while still getting shallow depth of field and all of that, you need to somehow darken the exposure. And for that, I typically rely on ND filters, you know, neutral density filters. Yep. But recent cameras have also electronic shutters that are able to shoot at much faster uh, shutter speeds, which allow you to get a similar result. Although, as we've been seeing in the press and over the past few months with the release of the A9 and so on, electronic shutters have some specific weaknesses like rolling shutter and, and so on, which for the most part will not apply to my shooting because I'm not shooting video or movement where that effect is likely to come into play. Yeah. So it's just mostly about the convenience of shooting with an electronic shutter or using filters and and i think yeah the the em1 mark ii that you have marius mm-hmm. definitely has an electronic shutter oh I'm, yes i don't know i'm not sure one. about the x pro 2 it does yep it does too because the yep. a7 II doesn't and so josh and i couldn't use it even if we wanted to right but you can so. i can and i have a lot like that's that's something that i rely right. on extensively um exactly in those scenarios where i'm out somewhere and it's too bright, and I'd like to uh, I'd like to get some shallow depth of field in my exposure. Um, the the sort of downside, not downside, but the limitation of using an electronic shutter for this versus an ND filter is that you don't get any flexibility in terms of your shutter speed, aka your ability to uh, express motion in right. the shot. So for landscape shooters, um, a lot of the times what they want is that that beautiful long exposure look where. Um, they've properly exposed the sky, but something like water or a waterfall or anything like that has this, this sort of creamy, smooth look to it. And you can't do that with an electronic shutter because that effect is achieved by having an extremely, um, slow shutter speed. So obviously that's exactly the type of shots that I'm looking forward to taking on the water. Yeah. And so, so in your case, then you, you would need, uh, ND filters. Um, and, and honestly, like they're, they're fun. They're, they're an interesting challenge to work with. Um, and you get results with them that you can't get in camera yeah. otherwise. So yeah, it's definitely, but I'm curious cause I do have a very good polarizer filter, you know, circular polarizer, which when you're shooting bodies of water, depending on where the sun is on, in the sky, uh, they can really make or break your exposure. Yes, yeah. Because you get rid of all the reflections, you maintain gorgeous blue skies, and you can see the water properly. Otherwise, you just get a, you know, the entire surface of the water gets uh, blown away, gets overexposed, and you lose all detail there. So uh, a circular polarizer, I am definitely going to bring with me. The question is, I think that darkens the exposure by about one stop. I don't think it does any more than that. So I would have to combine it with with an ND filter. And I don't know if stacking filters on top of each other can have, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, side effect. Like you get more vignetting, you get uh, a 
a significant degradation in image quality or something like that because you have more reflections between the layers yeah. of the filters. This is where this is where the quality of the filter comes into play yeah. most prominently. Uh, like usually, it's extremely dependent on the particular camera lens filter. The combination of of you know gear that you're that you're using has a huge part in that. But uh, I have I'm just saying I have never tried it with my own system. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to to seeing the results. I hope it's not too bad. I'm worried. Um, I'm concerned. Are there any polarizer filters that have built-in ND filters on top, like a combined filter that does both things at the same time? There surely must be, right? Uh, honestly, I don't think so because they're they're two very different. Um, well, not very different, but they're they're different tasks. Um, and typically, right. uh, typically because a polarizing filter has a little bit of uh, neutral density effect anyway. Um, they they if you want neutral density and polarization generally people will steer you towards one of the filter systems like Lee or um, yeah. what's the other big one? I forget now. But anyway, the, the filter systems where basically you have a mounting bracket in front of your lens and you put, um, they're almost like big slide panels that just, you know, yeah, yeah. sit in front. Those are great. Um, but then you're like, then you're adding more bulk to your kit because it's like, okay, I need the, the thing that attaches to my lens and all the different filters and it's expensive and blah, blah. Like that's, that's, if you're if you're like a dedicated landscape photographer, definitely worth the investment. But for travel like this, I I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, it's probably not worth it. And in 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 case anyone's wondering, you have to put the ND filter first and then the polarizer on top. Yeah. Because you have to actually move the polarizer for it to have any effect. So you have to the polarizer always have to be the last filter you screw on the lens. Yeah, because you have to align it with the direction of the sun for it to work exactly. properly. All right. What else is there? Packing. So packing is the worst packing, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I love packing. This is, this is, I feel like the, the area where, uh, you know, what separates good travelers from, from average travelers is, is how they pack their stuff, um, and, and yeah. how many bags they take and how large it is and everything like that. So we've, we've sort of discussed this a little bit before, but just in the context of this trip, um, how are you traveling? What's, what are you bringing? Um, well, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to be minimal about the kit that I'm bringing with me because there's a very important uh, difference that I'd like to point out, which is that I'm not a travel photographer. I'm a traveling photographer, Yeah, which means I'm a photographer who travels. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I like to have some of my gear with me, but not all of it. I, I, I'm, I'm not planning on waking up at 5 a.m. to catch the sunrise on the slopes of whatever mountain is over there. Because sure. yeah. I, I just I, I'm on vacation. I want to have fun. I want to have a good time with my friends and take some good images while I'm at it. So mm -hmm. the main purpose of the trip is, you know, just leisure. is not is not a photographic trip in and of itself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to make the most of it, of course. But that means the gear that I'm going to bring with me must definitely fit in just one bag, one small backpack. The you know the Peak Design backpack that I have, the everyday backpack. Oh, that's right. You bought, a, you bought one of those. I forgot that you're yeah, part I did. of the I bought it in New now. York. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a great bag. I'm I'm really happy with it so far. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it how it handles during the trip, you know, cuz it's going to be well, plenty of different conditions that it's going to be comfortable in and I think it's mm -hmm. going to do great. So yeah, the bag is pretty is pretty versatile and it fits just enough to um get you through that kind of uh you know, tra travel first photography. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I hesitated for a while there because I was 
usually in the past, what I've done is use one of my regular backpacks with a, you know, with an insert. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I took to to Canada, by the way. Yep. So you'll you guys will remember. And uh, because I have several of the Gorak backpacks, which are great. They that's are right. super the, comfortable to wear. You have the GR2 or something, right? I have all of them. Well, not all of them, but almost all of them. All of the original ones. The GR yeah. Echo, the 1 and the 2. Okay. And uh, they are great, uh, each in, in for its own particular purpose. But yeah. Uh, and I have several inserts that work very well with each with each of the backpacks. So that's definitely a doable combination. And I've done it previously and I, I didn't feel... Uh, you know, like I was being hindered by it. Uh, it just, it worked. So that was one option up until very recently. But in the end, I decided to go with the everyday backpack because I can fit all of the gear that I want to take with me inside of it. And I don't, if I take one of the other bags, I'm going to be tempted to bring more stuff and I don't want to do that. So Yeah, there's actually something to be said for the limiting factor of of deliberately choosing a smaller bag so that you aren't yeah. tempted to to overpack. Um, does the access bother you? Like does, um, obviously not with the peak design cause that's its advantage, but in terms of your previous travels with the Gorok bags, obviously that's the, the main downside of having a normal backpack with a camera insert yeah. is that you, you know, it's, it's a bit of an ordeal to get the camera out. Um, was that a factor or did you sort of not care for the, the kind of shooting that you're doing while traveling? For some of the trip? it would have been a factor. But since I'm planning not to change lenses that often anyway, access becomes less important. Yeah, you know? that's what I was So thinking. I can take an extra few seconds to just grab the whatever I need out of the bag. That wouldn't have been a deal breaker for me for this particular trip. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, in, in Africa, I had the uh, I, I went with the um, normal backpack and insert setup um, just because I knew we'd be mostly... Uh, in a vehicle, I wouldn't be doing a whole lot of like switching gear out in the field because typically I would have my camera out with the lens that I wanted to use and the rest of it uh, needed to be comfortable for hiking for whatever more than, um, you know, I I cared more about the comfort than the access for that for that usage. So I've I've gone both ways on this. I do own the uh, the Peak Design 20 liter um, backpack as well. And that's kind of the, the, the bag that I take when I go shooting um, with most of my kit uh, here because it fits well it fits my entire Olympus kit so that's great um, you know I don't have <laughs> to I don't have to choose right it just it's um, but yeah for for comfort for travel it for me that was the the bigger factor so I, I can see this going both ways but I, I do think that in uh, in your case like you said it's it's more about size than uh, than access yeah so uh, you know bag wise I think I'm I'm settled and mm-hmm. gear-wise, I think I'm settled for the most part, too. Uh, the lenses, I I only have three lenses right now. So that's the two zooms that I mentioned earlier and the 35.14. Yeah. And I don't think I'm going to bring that because it has a shooting envelope that is way more specific that I don't think is critical to have when I'm traveling to these kinds of places. So it adds a fair amount of bulk. It's almost a kilogram in weight. And I'm not looking forward to having it in the bag to have it just mostly sit there all day. So I'm going to leave it behind. Smart choice for what it's worth. I think I, I imagining how you would use a 35 millimeter and it like Toronto when we were there kind of seems like the envelope you were referring to. Yeah. And I have a 35 in the zoom. So right. it's not like I'm, I don't have that focal right. length. I just don't have it at f1.4. But like I said, when I'm traveling, I know my shooting habits and I don't ever use or go for shallow depth of field uh, 
shots when I'm traveling. I, I'm, I try to capture my environment because that's what it's all about. And, you know, in that regard, F4 is all I need. Smart. Yep. Check mark. So the last, uh, you know, piece of kit that I'm almost sure I'm going to bring with me is the tripod because I have, I'm lucky enough to own a very compact travel tripod. It's a full-size tripod, but it falls really small. It's one of the Surrey, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, really nice carbon fiber tripod. And I, I don't often bring it with me because as small and light as it is, it's still mostly an annoyance to, you know, carry around all day. Yeah. But I think in this in this case, it's worth bringing it around because there are going to be lots and lots of beautiful landscapes to shoot. And that's the only way I can actually appear in the shots myself because you guys, you're photographers just like me. I'm sure it happens to you. <laughs> you have tons of pictures of everyone except you. <laughs> so yes. Yep. <laughs> that's a problem. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, make a little bit of an extra effort to uh, appear in the shots myself because I want to have the memories and not just selfies taken with my phone, which I'm sure there will be a few, but... Yeah. So anyway, gear-wise, that's all I'm taking, and the only part of my uh, baggage that I'm not entirely sure how to handle is the storage. You know, backups, uh, file management, how can I uh, make sure that I don't lose any of the images due to an SD card failing or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I've thought about a couple options, right? The first and the easiest one is to just bring my laptop, uh, yeah. the MacBook Pro that I own. I can just copy the pictures to the internal drive and maybe even, uh, you know, carry with me an, an inexpensive uh, external drive, plug it into the laptop and have two copies. And if I have good Wi-Fi, I can even upload them to the cloud. Yeah. So that would take care. That's what I've been doing over the past few years that takes care of everything you get three, three copies one of which is offside and in two different devices so it it checks all of the marks of, of the good back at practice but um i'm not sure i want to i want to take the laptop for this trip it feels once again it feels like carrying a whole lot of weight a whole lot of complexity that i don't want to have around because i'm not planning to dedicate a majority of my time to photo editing or to processing the files. I just want it to be as seamless as possible, as easy as possible. For what it's worth, I would say like a MacBook Pro, I know that they continue to get thinner and the footprint continues to get smaller. No matter what, that 15-inch MacBook Pro is not a small computer. Like it, it's just not small. And to it lug it across right. like a terrain, I don't know. I, I would... I could not do it myself. I, I have a hard enough time taking it back and forth to the office, to be honest. <laughs> so um, I would, don't blame you at all. My thinking was that the laptop would stay behind, you know, during the day. Uh, but I wasn't sure what kind of place we'd be staying at. You know, if we're staying at a hostel where you have to share a room with strangers, I wouldn't be a fan of leaving the laptop behind, to be honest. Right. Yeah, that introduces its own set of anxieties. Yeah, but it turns out for the most part, we're going to be staying at absolutely safe places like we have an airbnb entirely for ourselves which is you know as safe as you can get uh, barring a breaking you're you're good and then we're staying at friends uh, uh at different friends homes so uh i'm not concerned about leaving my equipment behind when i'm going to be just walking around or whatever and i don't want to take everything with me that's not a, that's not a concern i have but still it's it's 
just the complexity that it adds. I haven't yeah. ruled it out entirely because it's still the one option that checks all of my boxes as of today. But I have to reassess. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. The one one option that I looked into, and Marius, you you steered me into this direction a few weeks ago, was grabbing one of those uh, Western Digital external drives that have built-in Wi-Fi and SD cards. Yep. And the what's interesting about those is that they function as autonomous backup devices. You just plug the SD card into the slot and the device itself automatically makes a copy of the files. You don't yep. even have to use a laptop for it. And that's very interesting. Unfortunately, I don't think I can get one in time for the trip because I'm leaving in five days. So uh, yeah, yeah, that, that would be tricky. For me, that solved the, this exact anxiety. I mean, I haven't owned a laptop in a very long time now. And uh, so, so for me, like, I always travel with my iPad because it does everything that I that I need it to. And often I don't even bring the iPad because I don't I don't actually want that. Like for Africa, I just had my phone with me, um, which ended up being a you know a good call. It was one less thing to carry and worry about. Um, but in terms of managing the files, I did have this Western Digital. I think it's called the My Passport Wireless Pro. Yep. Um, and it's this this square chunk um, that does a, a few different cool things. It's it will charge your phone. It will. Um, uh, you can sort of put movies and things like that on it and then watch them on your device without having to keep it uh, on the local storage of your device. Um, but for me, I you know, I bought it for this SD card slot, which turned out to be excellent because it meant that I had um, like my backup strategy when traveling is to have more cards than I will use so that I never have to right. format in the field. So that's one storage location. And then the second one is, you know, plug those cards into this drive and get a second backup uh, copy on on that drive and you know store them in different places and for travel like yes it's not the the maximum amount of protection but i feel like it's um it's the more like it's it's always balancing risk and convenience and to me right. this was the this was the the most comfortable balance point because it didn't require me to bring a heavier piece of equipment just so i could say that i've ticked all the boxes like that to me that was less important than having a system that that gave me a backup you know, a little bit of right. peace of mind. Um, and, and it's portable. Like it's, it's very small. If you bring a, a portable charger or a, a portable drive with you, um, it's, it's not, you know, this is not going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, and it works as advertised. Like to me, that was actually the big question is, does this thing work reliably? Um, does it do what it says it does? And in my experience with it, it has, worked flawlessly the battery life has been excellent i don't think i charged it at all while we were in africa um wow. and you know it's it's great it's one one thing that's not super nice is that um getting those files off of the drive through the wi-fi connection through the app um is not fast so if you're trying to like pull a whole day's worth of images onto your phone uh, or onto an ipad or something to edit that's not quick um but Honestly, like I again for me, I didn't want to do that editing on the go, so I didn't care. Like it was for me, it was yeah. like I just I just need the peace of mind of knowing that they're on there, it's secure, I've got an extra copy. And for that, it is perfect. It's expensive, but again, it's it's balancing this this sort of cost, convenience, risk thing. Yeah, for me that mobile editing part is not important. I I mean I'm more than happy to work with JPEGs when I'm on the go and because 
all I want to do with the shots is just tweak them slightly and post them through Instagram. Exactly. That's and for that, about all I do when I'm traveling. So. For that, it's even, you know, because all of our cameras um, have the ability to just beam them directly exactly. to our phone. Yeah. Like uh, that's, that's, that's what, what I, I do. I do. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that stays intact with this approach. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, to it. Maybe I can find one locally because usually I just buy it off Amazon on, uh, you know, Amazon US. But the time that it takes to ship to Spain is just too long. I don't know. I have to think about it. Uh, if I can find it here at a good price, I might do it. Because like you said, it's hard to beat the convenience. Uh, yeah, and it's peace I'm, of I'm mind. Wondering, it's... Weight-wise, I'm, I'm wondering, if you count the Western Digital Drive plus an iPad, are you in MacBook territory or not, not quite yet? No. No, you're not in MacBook territory. Like, it's... Um, with the 12.9 inch, if you have a heavy case or something like that, then, then maybe, um, mm -hmm. but I brought it without any case, um, and just the drive. And so I was, I was still, um, quite a bit under MacBook pro territory, certainly under MacBook pro 15 inch territory. Right. Um, you know, maybe, maybe approaching the 13 inch, but, um, I'm not familiar enough with that laptop right. to like have a intuitive sense of, of the weight. It, it may actually be pretty close, but I don't know, for, for whatever reason, my impression is that it's this setup, iPad plus drive is still lighter than that. Bigger than the 12-inch MacBook, though, for what it's worth. True, yeah, bigger than yeah, the 12-inch MacBook. Yeah, and, yeah, and with the 12-inch MacBook... I don't MacBook, have one of those, so... <laughs> yeah, but if you did, you'd still need the the dongles as well, um, which is not a lot of weight, it's just another component. Um, so you'd have the, the very, very light laptop, dongle, and then the drive. And it wouldn't right. have to be this drive, because then you could connect it just by... USB. Although you'd need another adapter to get the SD card read. So, yay. <laughs> yay, dongles. Dongle. Yep. Well, to be fair, you also need a dongle if you want to, you know, connect a drive to the iPad directly. So, it's true. I feel like that's a tie. <laughs> yeah, that's a tie. <laughs> All that's left is just making sure I have a good time. <laughs> yeah. I've been guilty in the past of being way too much, way too focused on the photography part of any trip to the point where I become extremely annoying to the people that are traveling with me. And I just want to, <laughs> you know, reach out and say, I'm sorry. I know I've been guilty of that in the past. I'm trying to get better. And if I'm not, I mean, I'm not entitled to give advice to anyone, but if you'll, if you'll take it from me, please don't be that guy or that girl. Don't, don't be the person who... You know, ignores the people around them just to focus on taking pictures because travel is all about experiencing things with others. And uh, yeah, I I don't I don't want to be that person. I think you just have to be really clear with yourself and with your travel partners what the intent of the trip is for you, right? I mean, that's that's really where things break down. Is if they think that it's just a vacation, but you're going there as photographer first and and sort of yeah, uh, you know, holiday second that's where a disconnect happens. And that's why, like you said, there's a there's a difference between, you know, a photographer who is traveling and a travel photographer. And I just I think if you're going to travel with other people, you've you've got to be super clear about that, um, that distinction. And honestly, yeah. if, if you want to be a travel photographer, um, then maybe go solo. You know, don't yeah. don't involve other people in that trip because it's not about them. Or go with other travel photographers. Or go There's with, exactly. plenty yeah. of them to go around. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just look at Instagram. Well, luckily, the, the friend that's coming with me to this trip, uh, he's he also likes photography very much, but he gets tired of it 
way before I do. Right. So I'm going to have to be vigilant. And when I see him anxiously waiting for me to take the perfect Yawning, shot, whatever it is, I, yeah, I yeah. have to, I have to be vigilant about the visual cues. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good though. It sounds like it's going to be an amazing trip. I can't wait to see the photos. We're going to have to, you're going to have to put up one of those photo stories for us when you, when you get back. You see, I'm trying to downplay the whole photography part of the trip because I don't want to work on the photo story. Like uh, uh, too bad. Remember who you're talking bad. to. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. You owe it to us. It. Yeah. I owe you the, I still owe you the photo story from the Toronto trip. Yeah. You're behind. Uh, guys, I'm really bad at this <laughs> because once it's, I blame Instagram because when I'm, since I'm sharing the, the pictures as I take them during the trip, I have no energy left to go through them again when I come back, you know. Uh, I have to either don't share any images while I'm out there and then share them all at once when I get back or or I don't know what, what to do. But What you need is I, a social media strategy where you, you edit everything and then you drip them out periodically over the course of the following year after uh, your trip. Yeah. And then right. everyone always thinks that you're traveling. Exactly. What? He's in Toronto yeah. again? What? He was just there like three weeks ago. <laughs> that's that's how you get the followers. Well, I did share a picture from the New York trip like a couple of weeks ago. And I had people ask me if I was there. <laughs> See, it's all about misdirection. So yeah, it happens. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of like yoda okay we did really good guys not a mention of it not a yep. mention of it in an hour and two <laughs> set, like two minutes and we're gonna ruin it at the end exactly <laughs> spoiler <laughs> horn <laughs> guys you can stop listening right now if you're not into star wars so basically josh you are meh about the film I'm meh. yep i enjoyed it a fair amount and Mario's just okay. totally whoa, whoa, whoa. Hated it. Okay, right? implies that I didn't like it, but I also didn't didn't love it. Like I I quite yeah. like I enjoyed it. It was it was fun to All watch, right. but like I, yes. I'm not sure that I left the theater thinking like, oh, like I can't wait for episode nine. Like I'm not, I don't know. I wouldn't say that they destroyed Star Wars, but I don't. I really don't like the whole like marketing first thing. I am tired of Disney trying to sell Star Wars. Well, I, I, I think you're forgetting that the original trilogy was a lot about selling toys too. Uh, toys, sure, but exhibit we're not a the Ewoks. <laughs> but like, yeah, but the, like Episode Five was. This movie had every opportunity to be better than Empire. It had every opportunity. It could have blown everybody's shorts right off, like or socks off. Excuse me. Um, like seriously. They they could have just. I don't know, man. Up. I think it's soon to tell. Keep just maybe. You have to remember that we still have one third of the story that we don't know anything about. So maybe what happens in episode nine will make more sense out of what happens in this movie. Perhaps, but but people aren't looking back at Empire and saying that Empire was better after they saw Return of the Jedi. They said Empire was amazing. Yeah, but before uh, Return of the Jedi was released, the you know everyone was extremely underwhelmed with Empire. Uh, it was not well received at the time, and and that's surprising now looking back onto that act because yesterday I was reading the original reviews for that movie, and many many critics like f from the New York Times and uh, lots of uh, people, you know, high profile publications that used to do movie reviews back then, they complained about the lack of structure. They complained that lots of elements in the movie that that don't make sense, and I think it's because we are looking back at the entire story and as the middle part, it's clearly the better of the three. But if I 
try to pretend Jedi doesn't exist. I don't know how how I would feel about but it. But like, so there's Luke. I am your father. Like that was single handedly the greatest reveal. Probably, I don't know. Somebody would challenge me on this, but I would say probably one of the biggest reveals in film history ever. That and many moment. people didn't actually believe it. Right. Many people thought Vader was just playing with Luke. But how cool would it have been if if they like would have met allowed Ray and Ren to just like blow your socks off like that? Like for half a second, you're like, holy crap, Ray turned to the dark side. That would have like that would have I don't know. We still have to see yeah. that. We I don't think. know for sure. I think she she hasn't gone through her arc <sighs> yet. But she does run away. Ah. And that that has to happen in episode nine, I think. But we'll see. I don't know. Uh, okay, so that's that part of the right story. Right now, she's far too good. She's far too good to be an interesting character. Yeah. <laughs> she's far too perfect, yes. far too powerful. She has to face some sort of challenge that makes her doubt herself and her own abilities. And so far, she hasn't. Right. And that's a problem with the story. But like I said, that could very well be fixed in episode nine. So Okay, I'll give you that. It's just I'll too give soon you that. Can to we tell. both admit, though, that the whole like Finn, Poe, uh, Rose, that... Like, yeah, entire... that's, that's bad. Yeah. That's just bad storytelling. Bad. I'm 100% with you in there. Bad. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll rope Marius into this part of the of the. Well, hold on, the score. All real quickly, what'd you think? The score. Oh, I'm not I'm not qualified to comment. Okay, on the score. fair enough. Marius, what do you what did you think? Uh, the score was good. Um, Josh and I were having a conversation about this the other day. The the score was like. Uh, it, it developed the themes from The Force Awakens well. Um, it was, you know, very, it, look, to me, John Williams, I hold to extremely high standards. And this was not him phoning it in necessarily, but like he can be asleep and produce an excellent score. <laughs> um, this is definitely not the kind of score that's bubbling with creative energy and ideas like the golden age scores of his uh, were. So, you know, with that in mind, it's great. You know, it's 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 a very, very good score. It's fun to listen to. Um, I'm a big fan of the Resistance March theme. Um, Kylo's, you know, sort of motif for, for the, um, what are they called? The First Order that's good too. Um, you know, it's it's a very well put together score, but it's not going to go down in history as one of his best. Um, not even in the top ten or anything like that. It's right. just it's good. Yeah. You know. Okay. I agree. <laughs> when you have a fifty year old career, that happens, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that's the other side of it, right? Like I I say, okay, it's not a great score. I expected better, but uh, like really, he's he's given more to the industry than almost anyone else, right? So it's like he yeah. could happily retire and still have had more of an impact. Like this is this is fine, you know. He gets a few he gets a few uh, sleepers in in his career. Yeah, I this wonder is... what's going to happen when he retires for good or God forbid when he dies. Someone else is going to take over, you know, writing Star Wars music. And uh, if fans are upset now, wait wait until oh, that man. happens. Just please, <laughs> Silvestri can stay away. It'll be Michael Giacchino. He's already he's already you know filled those shoes and, and demonstrated that he's that he's capable of following in those footsteps. He doesn't have the same uh, skill set yet, but he's he's very good, and he's got a whole career ahead of him to improve. So it's did it's he fine. Do Rogue but one? yeah, that's going to be a sad day. He did Rogue One, okay. and he did. Rogue yeah, it's too one. bad they didn't give him enough time to. Exactly. Exactly. He did Rogue One in like an afternoon because they wow. they were yeah. really bad at it. wasn't actually an afternoon, but it was like two weeks or uh, three weeks or some really insane amount of time that's not at all practical. So he's he's good. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's he's. I have faith in his abilities to to pick up that mantle. And he really knows how to tug at the heartstrings with mm. his music. Yeah. So anyway, score is out of the way. Mars, what did you think about the movie, plot wise and then execution wise? 
Okay, so this was for me easily one of the worst Star Wars films, and I'm not like a big Star Wars fan. I'm not uh, coming at this with some nostalgic attachment. I didn't like the original films particularly. Like I didn't, I've never thought that any Star Wars film was great. So I'm not, right. I'm not coming at it with this sort of beloved thing. I just thought that this was um, a a really bewildering, messy, poorly executed film that that spent most of its time assassinating the characters that were set up in the Force Awakens, which I thought was a solid right. film, very derivative but solid. Like it was well executed. It was a copy of, you know. But but I, I was okay with that. Like that it was fine. This one though, like. Finn, instead of being the sort of interesting um, piratey bad boy, turns into an idiot, um, <laughs> and and Poe especially actually he's the he's the idiot and the and the guy who's responsible for the deaths of like the entire like ha- he cut the the population of the resistance in half over the course of this film. Yeah. Yep. So you know that was not great. Um, the entire plot arc with with him and Rose, uh, with uh, yeah, with Rose and uh, Finn and um, Benicio del Toro, was useless. That was good. That was entirely useless. And and like strangely political and just I that was you know not a hit for me. But I just like if you're gonna make a Star Wars film, it's got to have the spectacle, which this one did have. So from the perspective of like enjoyment of action and stuff like that in the theater i give them that that was fun um mm-hmm. there were you know the the big explosion where um laura dern flies the oh, um, so the cruiser good. that was very satisfying um and the whole kylo ray you know fight there with with snoke that was great but if you stop to think about it which i do not recommend by the way <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, at some point, yeah, you don't have you have to not think too much about Star Wars movies. But like, I, okay. I'm okay with so suspending disbelief. Like, you know, like I'm I'm okay with a certain degree. But the whole the whole like structure of this, the the like big ships chasing little ships, makes zero sense. Zero sense. Any any perspective that you take on this, that it doesn't make sense. That like you have. A big sh- like in space, there's no friction. Big ship with an engine the size of the smaller ship, they could catch up. If they can't catch up, that's fine. They can warp ahead of them and shoot them from in front. Like it doesn't, none of it makes sense. Oh come on! This falls uh, into acceptable suspension of disbelief for me because the rules of space in fiction are clearly whatever the filmmakers want at any given time. Nothing's yeah, written in stone. If they tell you that they can track them through hyperspace, you just have to go with it. If they tell you that they can catch them because the smaller ship is faster, you just have to go with it because (laughs) we don't know. We have no way of knowing. There's a quota, though. That's that's my problem. I'm okay with that. You get you get a handful of those. You get a handful. But this film is built on them. And there's too many. There's too many moments where it's like, don't worry about this. We're just going to tell you something and you're going to believe it because we really, really need you to buy pork toys. So I'm (laughs) like, they're they're. There may be a few, but I don't think they detracted from my enjoyment of the film, is what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying the film is great in in because really it has a lot of problems and I'm aware of them. But those issues that you're mentioning are not the worst thing about the movie for me. They're not what might have dampened my enthusiasm about the movie. No, it's not the worst thing. For me, it's it's sort of like the icing on the on the crap cake here because I, I'm just sad for the characters. Like I, right. I'm I'm walking out of I walked out of Force Awakens being super invested in these new characters. I thought that they were a fresh take. I was excited to see where the franchise was going to take them. And I, you know, that was that was a positive reaction. Here, I right. like I don't I don't care anymore. It's such a they've turned it into such a small scale 
um, thing with characters that I no longer think are interesting. Um, there's been very little... Johnson killed all the interesting ones. Like, Phasma, just done. Like, she got how many seconds of screen time between both movies? 30 seconds total? Yeah, she's just toast. Yeah, something like I'm that. Just toast. That's fine, so, whatever. Yeah. She could have been cool. By the way, the whole initial setup of the film is like, the First Order reigns. How? The Force Awakens, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the First Order wasn't doing so hot well, after that. Well, but there's a precedent for that. If you If you remember the original trilogy at the end of A New Hope... They destroy the Death Star, and that's supposed to be the, you know, rebirth of the rebellion and whatever. The Republic is back again, and they have a parade at the end, and they give medals to everyone. But then at the beginning of the next movie, they are being chased away by the Empire, and the Empire is in full control of the situation again. So it's the exact same thing. That's not... If you if you didn't have a problem with that before you shouldn't have a problem with it now oh but i did the difference is that there was but there's time in between episode four and five there's theoretically no time between episodes seven and eight we don't know that well, how no, do you know they that? say well we do know that because like ray walks up to luke and is in standing in the exact same spot so theoretically okay. we're in but the we don't know how long time. she stayed in the we don't know how long she stayed in the island. <laughs> You're right. They just did the Lord of the Rings shot for like years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean, the whole, the, whole part where she, the whole part where she's trying to get uh, Luke to train her unsuccessfully, that could have taken months. We don't know. Yeah, it's true. But but then theoretically, then uh, I, I'm not. I mean, hmm. I'm I'm full on board with the whole uh, Canto Bite scene being entirely pointless. Absolutely. I think the problem with the characters is real because out of the three main characters that were introduced in the previous movie, at least two, and I'd say two and a half... Are boring. The arcs are not good, because Finn, his character arc is the exact same it was before. He learns not to run away from danger and instead stay and fight the good fight. That's the yeah. exact same arc he learned in the previous movie, and he learns it again in this movie. So that's not any growth whatsoever for his character, which is too bad, because he was one of my favorite parts of the previous movie. And then Poe, I... It, he was a jackass, but maybe that's the point. Maybe the guy we saw in the previous movie was... We we saw him for very little time, and we only so, saw him blowing things up. So Yeah, but I don't maybe, know why. I walked out of The Force Awakens with the impression that he was a jackass, but, like, not a dumb one. Whereas here, he's just, like, impulsive and too... To, and and dumb, like in a, just in a bad way. Like it's not the it's not the sort of endearing. Right, but at least there's growth here, because by the end of the film, he's in a different place. He has learned that strategy is more important than impulse and that blowing stuff up right now because it's right there in front of you. And how can you turn away and go home? So there's at least there's growth there. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I mean, by the end of the film, Poe is the character that we thought he was at the end of The Force Awakened, but... Turns out he just wasn't he, there yet. Yeah, okay, I guess so. I So that's... I'll, I'll take that. I can take that. Then the problem... I mean, in the movie, there are more problems. Like, if you blow half of your squadron, you are not jumping in the next wing the next day. So he should have been dealt with, he should have been punished, and he shouldn't have been allowed to pretty much do whatever he wants for the entire film. Uh, that's a problem. That's a very big problem because the, the rebellion is supposed to be sort of a pseudo-military uh, group and the chain of command, you you don't you don't screw with the chain of command. <laughs> yeah, very wishy-washy anyway, chain of command in this film. <laughs> but anyway, that 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 aside, uh I think the arc of Poe is not great, but I, I can let it let it pass. For me, the, the biggest problem is actually with Ray, 
she doesn't change at all through the movie. Yes, she learns to control the Force and she learns to be a better, quote, Jedi because she's not quite a Jedi yet. Who knew it was so easy? It takes one yeah. lesson and you, two, you right? discover no, the Force. Three lessons, according to Luke, but only two delivered. Yeah. <laughs> three lessons, yeah. but I'm going to give you two of them. <laughs> and one of them is to not use the Force. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, some of the problems that people have been uh, very vocal about I don't agree with at all. Like, I don't have a problem with them killing off Snoke without an explanation. I think that was a great choice. Uh, the fact that he was a red herring was great, as far as I'm concerned, because if you think about it, we knew nothing about the Emperor from the original trilogy until the prequels came out. We knew nothing about that guy. He was super powerful. He treated Vader like his bitch. And he could have been anyone. We had no idea who he was or where his power came from or whatever, or what he, he could even do. We knew nothing about him. So the fact that we don't get to know the origin story of Snoke, I don't care. He's not the main protagonist of the story. This is not about him, just like it's not about Luke. So I don't have a problem with them killing off seemingly important characters because people just expected them to have a bigger role in the story. I'm totally fine with that. I'm also fine with Ray's parents being not important to the story. And this is not still 100% sure because... Again, Kylo Good Ren point. could have been just messing with Rey. Could have been lying, but yeah, I'm on board her. with that too. I'm on board with that 100%. But I am so glad he she turned she didn't turn out to be Obi-Wan's granddaughter or something like that because that would have made the universe feel so much smaller. Yeah. And the the whole point of the Force is that it's this mystical energy that could awaken inside of anyone. And I don't agree with people who say that this cheapens the Force because now suddenly anyone can be a Jedi. This doesn't change anything. The the amount of individuals who are force sensitive could still be astronomically small it just doesn't it's it's just not tied to a particular bloodline it's not hereditary in the traditional sense yeah so but it doesn't, I like it doesn't it cheap cheapen ray's story like she now becomes no. that much less interesting because literally she sat in jakku for like however old she was and literally she was just a scavenger forever like there was nothing there was nothing there's no backstory they can't even make a backstory about her she's like literally the moment that you see her in the force awakens that's the only story that you're ever going to know about her that's the problem that i have with Look, it i like that though i like that because- i like it absolutely because it's a great contrast to Kylo Ren. He, Kylo Ren comes from this very super powerful bloodline and he's, you know, uh, the nephew of the great, the mighty Luke Skywalker. There's so much promise, some, so much that is expected from him and then he turns out to be the villain of the story, whereas Rey comes from nothing and she turns out to be the hero. I love also, that contrast. Yeah, and I'm not mm. comfortable with like the the only value of a character being their association with other characters that we know, right? Like the the yeah. fact that Ray stands on her own, and we need to appreciate her as her own character, not because she's this person's granddaughter or this person's daughter. Uh, like, it's no, the she, mystery and is, the awe that I'm referring to. There's just none of that in anybody. There's no like. Again, Vader didn't lose a single battle between all of Episode Four, Five, and even in Six, and then at the very end, he I guess you know like. He gets his hand chopped off because Luke cheated and used the dark side, theoretically, right? He's like badass. The first thing that Vader does is blow through a door, grab a guy, and choke him to death with one arm. The first thing that he does. Like, he's mysterious. He's full of awe. He's full of power. Like, there's nobody in this story who is like that. Everyone's just boring. But that's not an interesting character. And call me crazy, but I seem to remember Vader losing a lightsaber duel with Obi-Wan. 
Yeah. And getting well, yeah, three out of his one, four well, limbs I don't chopped think, off like, as Disney's, a result. Disney doesn't want episode one, two, and three to exist, so though. So let's just ignore those. But we can't. I wish we could. I really wish because they're but terrible. The long story short is like in 1977 when Star Wars debuts and then up to 1983 by the time everything's done, like Vader doesn't lose any battles until that very last one. And now like, again, like he's full of mystery But he's only ever into three fights in the entire trilogy. So that's not and really saying And he kicks Luke's ass in episode five. Just kicks him. Yeah, but he, he, he didn't kick Obi-Wan's ass. Like, they were... Evenly matched, I would say. I'm not. I'm talking about episode four, five, six here, not episode one, two, three. Yeah, yeah episode four. I'm talking about episode four. No, he kills him. He just like kills him ah, because he because he, because Obi Wan gives up. Well, we can argue this for days. At the end of the day, like Obi Wan's like 90 years old. He's not going to win that fight, and he knew it. That's why he sacrificed himself. Vader was awesome. Like he was like again, Age mystery matters not, and awe and power <laughs> and like. Here we are left with Kylo Ren going, oh, like he's he's such a baby. But I don't, he's like a no, whiny baby. There's no mystery. There's no mystery to to Vader. Like that was not a, a mystery. He's powerful. Great. That doesn't make him interesting. Well, yeah, but where did his power come from? Who cares? We're like, whoa. Like, he's, he's, where did his power yeah, come from? How is he so prequels. powerful? And Ray, we're like, meh. Like she's like, there's no backstory. I'm with Marius here. Who cares? All powerful, you know. All powerful characters are not interesting. They need to have weaknesses. They need to have struggles. And that's the problem with Rey right now. The struggles she's had so far in the story are nowhere near as big as they should have been. And that's a problem because it makes her not interesting. She's, yeah, she's just been in a holding pattern for a while. She, she basically, in the first movie, we met her and we have a sense of who she is. In this movie, she makes zero progress except, you know, she now knows that the force is not a thing that you reach out for literally. Hmm. And that, but it's like, she's not, I don't know, but to me, like she's still, she's the character who has the potential to be perfectly interesting. And the fact that she's not related to one of the previous characters or anything like that does absolutely nothing to diminish that in, yeah. in my feet. Like it, I'm, I'm so glad too, that they democratized it in this way because it gives them a uh, license to yeah, to finally too. tell stories that aren't rooted in this particular set of families. Like, screw these people. That's the, that's one generation. We've seen that side of it. Show me someone else. Show me a different part of this galaxy. Show me other things, right? Like, show me other manifestations of this power. I'm 100% with you on that. Yes, absolutely. I'm 100% with you on that. And like you said, Alvaro, it's just because it could happen to anyone does it, doesn't mean that it's spontaneously going to start happening to everyone. It doesn't mean that the density yeah. of force-sensitive beings in the galaxy is suddenly higher. It just means that it could be anybody and their story is interesting because of who they are and their history, not because of like who they're related to that we know and can have preconceived notions about. And I think that's progress and this movie... If only for that, I think will be a worthy Star Wars film. Yeah, that's its, in most, the next, in the that's years its most important contribution, I think. Real quick, because I only have a few minutes left. I want to hear your take on the final duel. You know, Kylo Ren versus Luke Skywalker. Did you like it? Uh, uh, yeah, no. The reason why is because I think Luke deserves better than... Um, than, than like, if Luke died, like actually died, I would have been... I would have liked that more. Like if at the hands of Kylo Ren, if Kylo Ren killed Luke Skywalker, that would have, I think again, would have served better for episode nine and our hatred for Kylo Ren. When we, when Kylo Ren eventually dies or when he switches over to the light side or whatever, this him killing Luke Skywalker would have been a better, um, 
would have helped that story out. I think it also would have helped Luke. Like, we're like, how did he get over to the planet of crate? How did he get there? Well, you know, by him projecting himself there, we're like, okay, cool, whatever. But he could have used the force to take that X-wing out of the water and fly there. And he could have done this. And I think it takes away from the conversation that he had with Leia and, and all of that. Um, I, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I what I did like was that they explained early in the film, which was a hard thing that some people haven't, uh, didn't notice it, but the very first time that Ray and Ren see each other telepathically, um, like they kind of Ren runs out into the hallway and he looks at Ray and he's like, how are you doing this? He says, the energy alone would kill you. Like he says that and it's kind of quiet. Uh, depending on the theater you're in, you might not have been able to hear it, but he says that. So then it's kind of like a foreshadowing of holy, you know, like Luke does this. So it has to kill him, which is, you know, so that part I I can get on board with. I just think that it would have had a better impact if Luke had gotten there and it had been like a legitimate fight, you know, like maybe the AT-ATs were like blasting him and it used up so much of his energy. And then Kylo Ren came in and finished him off. Like, I I don't know. I think it would have been better for episode nine personally. It was still cool, but Marius. I didn't really understand it, to be honest, because it, it was such a, a strange, like, why did he not go in person? What was the what was the function of him, like, force beaming there instead? I, like, I didn't understand. I, I assume that there's a story reason for that. And, and, you know, then we just sort of see him fart off into the sunset later. But it didn't feel satisfying as a, you know, for, for him as a character. And it also didn't seem necessary like it i didn't understand why he took it seemed like the the path of more resistance to do that because whether he was there in person or whether he was there telepathically you know presumably he still would have died he still would have so you know why did he not dignify leia at least with an actual parting handshake instead of like a teehee hologram kiss Uh and then that's it. Like, I don't don't understand the the reasoning behind it. Right. And I think that's what left me a little ambivalent. This is headcanon for the most part, but I think I understand why he did that. And I also and I also really like the scene and what it means for him as a character and for the movie, uh, you know, as a whole. First off, Luke's really old. Really, really old. So even if he had wanted to go there in person, maybe he knew he couldn't beat, physically beat Kylo Ren. But his knowledge of the Force is so much bigger than Kylo Ren's. So by projecting himself there, you know, as a younger person, because Luke looks a lot younger when when he's projecting himself onto crate than he actually is. Maybe he can hold his own that way for a little while in a fight, because his entire reason to, to do that is to give the others a chance to escape. He's not there to win the fight. He's not there to win the war. He's just there to keep the rebellion alive and to ignite this part of spark of hope so to see like you know like they say in the movie the entire character arc for luke is how he's a reluctant hero in the beginning he doesn't like to be a legend he believes it's a great burden but by the end of the movie he realizes he can use his status as a hero to help the rebellion and he overcomes his personal struggle and does it anyway even knowing full well the effort is going to kill him which i agree with josh that's a really nice bit of foreshadowing that they do at the beginning of the movie so i think it's great because he gets to do what he wanted to do which is get his friends to escape safely the it's very clear that his knowledge and control of the force is so much better than anyone else's and he gets a very dignified end he chooses 
how to go out. He doesn't lose a duel with a younger Jedi, which would have been such a disappointing end for such a beloved character. He goes like he wanted to go. He goes looking at the twin sons. And I think I love the scene. I That gave me goosebumps. That's a great shot and it's a great scene. And I think it works very well with the movie. And, and that was by far my favorite part of the film. And I'm surprised why uh, so many people don't like it, to be honest. I just don't think it had the impact. That's all. I just don't think it had the impact it could have had. Yeah, the problem is if Kylo Ren kills him, then his arc is complete. He can't go any higher than that. You can't have Kylo Ren kill Snoke and Luke in the same movie because then he's just as powerful as he's ever going to get. That that There's no room for growth for him anymore. He's not there yet. There's a full third of the story that we haven't been told yet. And he still needs... He's not a finished character. He's not a full, fully in control uh, Sith or whatever they're calling them these days. But let's just point out that Ren has yet to actually win a fight. Yeah, and that's and good. I think that that works against his character so badly because he's supposed to be all-powerful and all this and all that. And guess what? He actually hasn't won a fight he's yet. He's evenly matched with Rey. He, he lost a lightsaber fight to a girl who had never touched a lightsaber. Well, he was... And then he lost to a projection. He was severely injured. Then, I know, right but then, at the so end of the day, like he, he, there's no, there's nothing bad to him. They needed to make him bad. No, but he's not supposed to be no, bad because he's they're going to be flawed. He's right, right. Yeah, he's yeah. conflicted. Okay, but it would have been good if he actually did something bad. He killed Han Solo. I guess that's something bad. I like that he's he's a flawed character instead of a bad one because he's less of a caricature. He's not just sort of like a oh big bad guy. Like there's no dimension to Vader. There's no dimension to what's the red face guy from the from the prequels um mall mall there we go like those guys you know they they have a very distinctive role and they're they're the bad guy but it's not interesting like kylo ren he's whiny he's a child and that's not right he's not someone you root for explicitly he's not cool but he's a much more interesting character from the perspective of being unpredictable in the plot right like we're not quite sure what his arc is it could go either way and i'd be like yeah okay i i buy that which is interesting because I would not have, you know, like I can't say the same for any of the other uber villains in the in the Star Wars canon. So I'm okay with Kylo being more whiny, more flawed, not necessarily skill. Yep. Like he's got the raw power, but he doesn't have the skill because his emotions are always taking over for him. So he could be better than Rey. He could be better than Luke, but it's not, he's not there, right? He hasn't developed exactly. as, a, as a, and I'm okay. Like that's all 100% good. Thumbs up from me. Um, so that's fine. I actually, what you just said, Alvaro, about um, about Luke having a more dignified ending because it was his choice um, rather than being, you know, struck down in battle. Actually, um, that resonates with me. I think that's I think that makes the case for why they did the scene that way. Because you're right, especially in his role there as like igniting the spark of hope. If they watch him buy them time and then get killed, that's not super hopeful. Whereas if yeah, he exactly you know, buys them time, disappears and leaves um, Kylo just sort of fuming in the red sand, then that's that's better. So I'm, I'm okay with that now. That scene now makes sense. I can cross one of the many, many, many things <laughs> I didn't like about this film off of my list. Yeah, so, yeah awesome. I'm afraid I can't help you with all of them <laughs> because <that's, laughs> some of them, they just, they're just, yeah, there's nothing we can do about and hey, it. Hey, if but I anyway. take anything from this conversation is that I will judge it after episode nine. So thanks all for all. Yeah. I'll wait. I think that's I think that's fair. I'm gonna try and do the same because I it could turn out to be a bad movie after all when we see the story end. Give it the benefit of the doubt for now. Right. Yep. It's too soon to tell. <laughs> <laughs>